0: Wow. What a commander-in-chief that was, huh? Hey, I want to do something a little bit um, different. You know, I, I have a lot of friends that are veterans and, or that are active. And uh, and when I talk to them about Memorial Day, they're very specific on this. Like, look, Memorial Day is not Veterans Day. And Memorial Day is not when you recognize the servicemen and women that are active currently. It's the day that we honor those that pay the price. And so I get that. I, I get that we you don't want to just group things together because it loses the power of the honor of the day that's set aside. So I want to do this. I want to just ask if if you have ever lost a loved one. It could have been a grandfather. Uh, it could have been even further back than that. But if you've ever lost a loved one in service to this country, on, on any in any way. Um, and there, any branch of the military, I just ask you to put your hand up right now, anywhere in this room. We just want to thank you. Thank you so much for your sacrifice. Uh, and, and I also, also want to recognize, even though you don't want me to, look, when you, when you make the pledge, you take that oath. You do it knowing that, you, that as a country, we could send you somewhere where you could lose your life. And so I'm thankful for our servicemen and women that are willing to count that cost every single day. If you guys will, let's just give it up for those men and women. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Over a million men and women have lost their lives in services to this country in the last two centuries. Uh, you know, I, I know all of us at one point or another probably feel some sense of patriotism, at least I hope that you do. I know that I do. I, I remember the first time I got to go to Washington, D.C., and to walk around those streets, and just to see our nation's capital, man, or the first time that I got to be a part of one of those flag presentations at a funeral. It's amazing the detail. Every movement has meaning, everything about it, and And the honor that is put into it, the respect that is put into it, not because of the cloth, but because of what it represents. It represents a life that was laid down. But I think it's also really important that really what is represented is not the flag or the country that it represents, but what the country is established in. You don't forget and and never think for a second that America is great or will ever be great again because of its leadership. America is great because of what we were founded in. America is great because we are founded in Judeo-Christian ethics based on the word of God. And that's what we need again. We need Jesus. That's what makes America great again. But I'm so thankful personally for the men and women that did pay the ultimate price so that I could say what I think, believe what I believe. The fact of the matter is, some of you, you criticize. You wouldn't have the freedom to criticize America if it weren't for the men and women that died. That gave you that right. So let's give it up again for all those men and women. We honor them today. All right. You guys ready to get in the Word today? All right. Well, here's the deal. You're going to have to help me with this message. I'm not going to do this by myself. So if you guys aren't interacting and stuff, you know, I'm going to start calling you out just by name. I'm going to bring you right up here on stage. I'm just joking. But I need you guys to talk back with me a little bit today. Today we're going to talk about a man that we've been reading about in the one year... Reading, Bible plan. How many of you guys enjoying the year of the Bible? It's been good. Stories are getting good, all that. We're going to talk about a man who got off track in his responsibilities. Truth is, he was supposed to be off at war. He was supposed to be defending his nation, but he was at home. He got lazy. He got complacent. He wound up using his power and his money to completely destroy a family. David. David the shepherd boy eventually was anointed as king of Israel by Samuel. He slays Goliath, comes into Saul's court. Saul winds up getting jealous of him. Saul winds up chasing him, trying to kill him. David's on the run for a long time until eventually Saul falls on his own sword, committing suicide on the battlefield. So David comes in and starts ruling the nation of Israel, and things are going good. He's a good king. It's hashtag winning all over the place. When at first, and then David makes a really, really, really dumb decision. He sees this married woman Bathsheba bathing on a rooftop. He's overcome with the lust of that, commits adultery with her, and then tries to cover up the affair by having her husband killed and commits murder. You'd think with all that, that God would be pretty disappointed in who David was you think after hearing all that that God would just be ticked at David and would have just struck him down on his spot he was standing in. But this is what it says about Samuel in the New Testament, in Acts. It says in chapter 13, verse 22, After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Man. In spite of David's mistakes, in spite of his sin, God still calls him this. Aren't you thankful that God looks to your potential? Aren't you thankful that God looks about who you can be and not necessarily who you are or who you used to be? I love that God looks at our potential. I'm so thankful that Jesus, when he walked around, he walked around looking at people through the filter of who they could be. Not necessarily where they were at. In the Old Testament, God is talking to Moses about how to pick a king, because God knew eventually Israel was going to want a king, even though he would have rather them just depend on him. He said, but look, when you start looking for a king, you need to be aware, because there's really three areas that most kings will fall in. A lust for power, he talks about chariots and horses, a lust for gold and silver and money, and a lust for women. Really, in your life, in my life, there are one of really four areas, because I'm going to add one to the list, one of four areas that the enemy will get us in. The three are the same, that, that lust for power. That lust for power. The lust for money, gold. The lust for sex. And the lust for alcohol, drugs. For getting high. The lust for getting high could be drugs, prescription, or non-prescription. These are usually the four different areas that the enemy comes at us in. And David didn't have an issue necessarily with the power of the money, but he had a major issue with the women. might have had a little bit of problem with the getting high thing because he did get drunk with Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, before he got him set up to get killed. But he had a major issue. I think it's really important that you all know the area that you are most vulnerable in. And that you're honest about it. You're able to tell some people that you trust that area. That they can be aware of it. That they know you well enough that they can tell when you're struggling in that area. And love you enough to say something about it. You ever seen somebody, a great king, fall? A great leader, fall? How about a great company? You ever seen a a company become irrelevant before because maybe they... Got a little too high on their horse. Whatever happened to Kodak? Blockbuster? I know what happened to Blockbuster. Redbox happened to Blockbuster. (laughs) And I'm okay with it. Circuit City? Motorola? Reader's Digest. Whatever happened to them? They're just like irrelevant anymore. I'll tell you one thing you don't hear. You don't hear anybody say, hmm, I've got a Yahoo that. They say, I'm going to Google that, but they don't say, I'm going to Yahoo that. You ever had a spiritual leader in your life fall? I have. Man, it stinks. And you're just blown away. You're like, how did this happen? It happened because it got to the point where they were the king. They were the king. In their own mind, they were the king. And so they got to this place where they didn't think that they were vulnerable. They let down their guard in that, that area where they could be attacked. I'm so thankful that God doesn't see us for our sin. I'm so thankful for, for Pastor Rick and our executive team. Well, I just want to tell you, for me personally, but, but for you as well, they just see us for our potential. They see us for who we can be. As a church, this is who we have to be. As a church, we have to look at the world around us and not see them in their sin, but see them for the potential of who God created them to be. We've said before, there are people who are out there right now that are smoking pot, fornicating all up in their sin and wrapped up in the world, that God is going to get a hold of, set them free, fill them with his spirit, and they're going to wind up being pastors in this church someday because of how God sees them. And we want to be people that see them the same way that God sees them. Amen? But when you get to a place, when you're the biggest thing happening in your own mind, you will not see clearly. You will not see clearly. You are not the most powerful force on earth, the Holy Spirit is, but he is also a gentleman. And at one point or another, if you keep rejecting him, he's not going to force his way into your life. It says this in Psalm 32, this is David when he was still in that place where he was not coming clean. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy upon me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Anybody ever felt like that before? Maybe you feel like that right now. It's like, God. Well, for David, it's because he refused to confess. That problem that you won't talk about, has just become two problems. It's a problem that you did it, and it's a bigger problem that you won't talk about it. Fortunately for David, God sent this guy named Nathan to help him out. Look, everybody needs a friend like Nathan. Because Nathan came along, and Nathan just called him out. Everybody needs a friend that will tell you when you look foolish or are acting foolish. There's plenty of examples in our culture of people that obviously don't have a Nathan. You ever watch tryouts for American Idol? They don't have a Nathan. You ever got home at the end of the day, realize your zipper's been down all day long? You need a Nathan. Ever get home, you got a little cliffhanger booger right there on the end of your nose? It's been there for a while. There's classifications of boogers. You need to know that. You needed a Nathan to let you know that. You need to have somebody in your life that can call you out and tell you. Man, Nathan came along. He was incredible. He's so bold. He tells David, by the way, you're not going to build the temple. I know you're really looking forward to that. You're not the man. Sorry, you're not going to get to do that. He even told Nathan about when his kids were off track and were conspiring and putting together this evil plot and plan. I would suggest on a side note that you have somebody in your life that can tell you when your kids are off track. Now, this is very difficult. I've learned as a pastor, look, I can preach on just about anything. I can help people with just about anything. But if I start telling them something negative about their glorified child, all of a sudden, that's all limits. Like, don't talk about my kid. But you need somebody that will tell you when your kids are acting up. Can I get an amen? Because some, some of y'all, you sit around and you're like, man, I wish they would ask, ask me about how their kid's doing. <laughs> like, I wish they would ask me what I think about their kid. Well, you ask first. You ask first. And then be honest. Be honest. Amen? You, it's important to have people like that in our lives. Proverbs twenty-seven, six says this: "Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy." Billy Hornsby was one of the founders of the Ark, the association we're a part of. He says, "Don't be afraid of the yells of your enemies, but be incredibly intimidated by the silence of your friends." You got to have a friend that'll help you. We need this kind of people in our lives. He was kind of like David's personal prophet. That's kind of who he was. I had somebody say to me one time, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we all had like a personal prophet? My my thought on that initially was, well, I, I find that most of us just have a hard time doing what the word of God tells us to do. So I don't know that it would do any good for somebody to come along and tell us a bunch of other stuff that we don't intend to do. Let's just do what the word of God tells us to do. And then if we do that, maybe then he'll bring us a prophet. But if I did have a personal prophet, I sure wouldn't want him coming out in public, being like, hey, you're a murder and adulterer. And that's exactly what Nathan did. He did it in his court. I mean, he did it in a place where he could have been killed immediately, but he took that on. He was that kind of friend, that kind of man. He was was an incredible man. Let's look at this situation where Nathan comes and, and confronts David it's in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let me talk through it and then we'll pick it up in the scripture. Basically, he comes to him and David has, has had this affair, had adultery, but he's not confessing it. He's covering up this murder. And so Nathan has been told by God what everything that has happened. And he wants to confront David and help him to see the sin that's in him. But he does it in a way that just kind of like entraps David. He, he's kind of got to have to trick his mind out of this place where, if, where he's not confessing. It. And so he brings up this story and he says, okay... There is this rich man and poor man. The poor man had this lamb that was precious to him. It was like a member of his family, like a daughter. It would eat out of his hand at the dinner table. And the rich man had a guest come and visit him. The rich man wasn't willing to give up one of his own lambs to feed the guest. And so he went to the poor man and took that lamb and killed it and served it to the guest. And David said, that's, that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. God... They should be punished. In fact, they should be killed. And Nathan's like, you the dude. You're that man. You're that man. Let's pick it up in verse 9. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing this evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. It goes on to say, you did in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. Then David said to Nathan, this is so important. I have sinned. I have sinned. Look, David could have kept covering it up. He could have kept going with the lie. He could have kept going with the deceit. And no one would have known any different. David could have just been like, Nathan, you crazy. He could have killed him on the spot. But he took a breath. I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan, Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Like Nathan got it right in this spot, but the truth is God had already been dealing with David. It's just that David refused to admit the truth of where he was at. And I think all of us can get in this place. So I want to talk about some signs of sin creeping into your life. Some signs of sin that can, that can creep in. First of all, when our craving outweighs our conviction. When our craving outweighs our conviction, t- temptation is attractive. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called temptation. And the enemy knows everything that you crave because he put those cravings in you. And so he's always working on this. It says this in James 1.14, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change, like sifting saddles. Like, it doesn't matter what culture and how culture wants to redefine sin. Sin is sin and God is God. And He's never changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. A postmodernistic, post Christian world will try to redefine what is sin and what is not sin, but it is all subjective and there is no end. That is a slippery slope. But God doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But our cravings, man, they're like fantasy. That's what they are. There's some practical ideas. It's imaginary. It's fictional. You ever got done, men, women may not relate to this, but men, you ever got done watching a really good action movie at a theater? Like you just got done watching Jason Bourne. You walk out of that theater like, yeah. Man, I hope some I hope some bad guys try to mess with me right now because I go, a little, little something for them, a little something, something. And depending on what movie theater you walk out of, there might be some bad guys around here. Just <laughs> telling you. concealed weapon permit, people. But you just feel it because it's like you just put yourself in this. You're like, yeah. Take them down. Ladies, you may not get that as much. But you do the same thing when you come out of a Chick-fil-A. You're feeling all romantic. And your eyes, you know. Then you look at your husband. <laughs> because you're living in a fantasy. <laughs> Had some students go skiing this last year. And, and one of them went to the top of the most difficult double black diamond slope there. And just goes off of it. He just rolls all the way down this thing. <laughs> Hits the bottom, hurts himself. Kid had never been skiing before in his life. So the leader's like, what were you thinking? It's like, well, I was, what I was saying was, like, I'm really, really good at skiing on my Wii. And so I thought I was like the same thing. They're like, well, we think you stupid. Fantasy in your mind ever plays out the right way in real life. Just going with your cravings, it's going to harm you. I mean, imagine if you literally ate everything that you craved to eat anytime you wanted to. Some of you are like, well, maybe. <laughs> the only time that this is okay is when a woman is pregnant. That is like the only time. And they eat some weird things. But a lot of times, we just give ourselves over to our flesh in a lot of areas. You ever had a craving to just go eat something you knew was bad for you? A couple of weeks ago, I was, I was driving into to Conway. I was driving past Krispy Kreme. Mm, and the light was on, baby. <laughs> I had to start doing spiritual warfare right up in my car. I'm like, no, Satan, behind, get behind me. Get behind me. I drove right past that place. I'm like, I'm a man of God. <laughs> drove right on by there. kept on driving right to the Taco Bell drive-thru. <laughs> so, <laughs> it seemed like a good idea at first. But after, <laughs> it was like, it seemed like a good, oh, not a good idea. After. <sighs> Some people do everything that their sinful nature desires. And when you get to that place, really only a divine intervention is going to help. You're going to have to have Jesus. It says this in John 8, 34. Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. you got to come to Jesus. Look, sin is like a cancer. It's not going to stop until it consumes you. But Jesus is a healer. And it's not over, friend, but you got to call on him. Number two, when we cover up instead of come clean. When we cover up instead of come clean. Have you noticed that the cover up is almost always worse than the sin itself? You ever notice that? Can you think of an example when somebody tried to cover up one of their mistakes, like something in politics or a wife or a husband? Student, you have you ever tried to cover up your sin? I think the worst thing that could ever happen is for the cover up to work. That's the worst thing that could ever happen. Look, I'm so burdened for our students. I'm burdened for our students. This last week, we got to meet with some of the, the leadership from our schools, and we we're just talking with the th- about the things that they were, they they were dealing with, and. God, Look, we need to help and support the leadership in our schools, people. You have no idea what they're wrestling with. But we asked them, we talked about a few issues. And by the way, some of the issues that you think are like the biggest issues right now are not the biggest issues. We asked them what the biggest issues that there is that they're dealing with in schools. You know what it is? Social media. Social media, specifically the pictures and the videos that the kids are taking. Okay? So here's the deal. I'm concerned about the sin that this generation is dealing with. I'm concerned about that. And I'm concerned that the sin is moving younger and younger and the maturity is getting older and older to deal with the sin. I'm concerned with that. But you know what's way more concerning to me? is how good this generation has gotten at covering up their sin. So you, you may know this. You may not know this. And we may have a bunch of students that never want to come to church here ever again after I tell you this. But I don't care. I love them. Did you know that there's apps on phones, like there's an app right now, it looks like a calculator, you open it up, it operates like a calculator, but you put in a certain sequence of numbers, it opens up a vault that has a bunch of secret apps in there where they're hiding all their Snapchats and they're hiding videos and pictures and all this kind of stuff. Look, some parents are like, what? (laughs) You're freaking out right now. Look, let the Holy Spirit do his job, but I want to tell you this, Confess it. Give them an opportunity. I I love our students, and I love you, and I want you to find freedom. And it doesn't happen when you're hiding it. As long as you're hiding it, the enemy is going to kick your tail. You've got to come to a place where you want to come clean with it. Look, back, back to David. David the shepherd boy would have had a major issue. As a shepherd boy, he would have had a major issue with the lust that he had for Bathsheba. As a shepherd boy, the problem is when he became king, he lost his innocence. He lost his humility. And so he gets to this place, and, and he's trying to hide this sin. He's trying to cover it up. When you become king in your own mind, your heart will harden. When you become king of your own life and your own mind, your heart will harden to the things of God. God wants you to stay in a place where you're humble. A hardened heart just doesn't want to get caught. That's the problem. It says this in 2 Corinthians 17. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. That's how you know. That's how you know when it's the Holy Spirit dealing with you. It leads to repentance, which means you stop and turn away from the sin. But guess what? You don't have regrets and shame from it. That's the great thing about godly repentance. There's freedom in it. But it goes on to say this worldly sour sorrow brings death. You see, worldly sorrow, they're just really concerned with not getting caught. God wants us to be in a place where we're willing. God has, God has to send Nathan, basically, kind of to like trick David into confessing this sin. But he did. Another sign of sin is when you critique others, what we condone in ourselves. Ooh, I, look, I can slip into this. This is, one, this is a struggle that I can have. You notice that we often condemn in others what we like to condone in ourselves. I'll give you a couple examples. You might get mad at a politician because they're hiding their mistake or their sin. Have you ever hid something? like on a computer or we get mad because some politician calls someone stupid and yells and screams at them have you ever yelled and screamed at somebody and called them stupid I have I notice that I get really really good at assessing other people but I'm not always great at assessing myself it's getting really quiet in here I talk to people about forgiveness they resist it when I want talk to you about forgiveness you resist it I can see people's body language like in their chairs like I talk about the forgiveness of Jesus in their life and they're like yes bring it I love it and you got to forgive everybody no matter what they've done oh I don't know I'm going to have to look that one up <laughs> I liked this before it got to that until I I, I just remind you what you've been forgiven of. Look, when you just remember what you've been forgiven of, it changes everything, it changes your perspective. You just remember what you've been forgiven of. When I I think about what I've been forgiven of, man. It's amazing how it changes my heart. What can we learn from the sin of David? A couple things real quick. First of all, your purpose in God helps protect you from sin. Your purpose in god will help protect you from sin look if david would have just been off doing what god had called him to do he wouldn't have been at home where he wasn't supposed to be falling into his sin god's purpose will consume you to the point where you don't even have time to to think about sin much less pursue it but the biggest thing that we can learn is Repentance is for now. Repentance is for now. It's a strong verse, Acts seventeen thirty. The time, the times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Matthew three two. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the, that's like the first words that came out of Jesus's mouth when He entered His ministry. If you think repentance is what some fire and brimstone preacher yelled and screamed at you, you're not going to get the point. But when you understand that godly repentance is one of the most freeing, exciting things, if you want to get your joy back, if you want to get your peace back, repentance is the best place that you can come before God. Just to confess. Man, as soon as Nathan said, you're the man, David had to take a breath. And say, yeah, I am, I am, I'm the man, I'm, I'm, I've sinned, this is an incredible thing though, look how quick God's grace comes, as soon as God saw this repentant, moldable, shapeable heart, this teachable spirit, he says, I've t- taken away your sin, I'm not going to kill you, which by the way is what we all deserve, I'm not going to kill you, I'm taking away your sin, man, that's a good place to be. There's this incredible point about this story, though. David marries Bathsheba, stays marrying to her, and they have a few kids. One of the sons, they call Nathan to honor the guy that was always calling them out about the stupid stuff they did. And another son was named Solomon. We're going to learn more about him, but if you trace the lineage of Solomon, you'll find out about another guy that a lot of us know pretty well. His name's Jesus. took two sins a repentant heart and brought a savior that's what he can do in your heart let's close our eyes, bow our heads just want to pray for you if you're here today and you have an unconfessed sin I want to give you the first step towards freedom and healing I say the first step because I believe it's so important for you to find somebody that you can trust that you can confess this to It could be your husband, it could be your wife. Look, our husbands and wives should be our number one accountability, should be the number one people that we can trust with our biggest sin. But you need to find somebody confessing, but I believe that it's gonna start with you being honest before God. So I just wanna give you a chance. If you have a sin in your life, whatever it might be, and it's habitual, it's secret, it doesn't matter how bad it is, how long you've been doing it, but you're ready to be free. You're right, just confess that before God and take that first step towards healing. I just wanna pray with you this morning. If that's you, just put your hand up all over this room. Come on, let's just let the grace of God do its work in this place. Come on, come on. Father God, I just lift up every one of these people that are lifting their heads right now. I pray that you embolden them in the name of Jesus to not just submit their sin before you and be forgiven, but to confess it to their brothers and sisters in Christ and be completely healed. I come against the plan of the enemy that would bring shame, guilt, and condemnation. I thank you that right now in the name of Jesus, godly sorrow, godly sorrow and repentance is coming to them so that they can be healed, set free, to find their cutting edge again, to find their joy again, to find their peace again in you. I thank you for that. If you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you need to rededicate your life, look, Jesus can't save you unless he is your Lord. You've got to make him your Lord. You've got to give him control. And a part of that is walking out repentance. But if you're here and you've never done that and you're ready to do that today or to come back to him, rededicate your life, get back on track. If that's you, slip your hand up right now. I want to pray for you all over this room. Come on, be bold. Don't hesitate. If you need Jesus in your life this morning, as soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Anybody in this place, thanks. Thanks for being bold. Praise God. Anybody else? If you raised your hand, or even if you didn't, maybe you should have, right now, just in your chair, say, God, here's my life. I confess I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sin. And I ask for your forgiveness. Help me to live for you. I make you my Lord. I give you complete control. Be my savior, my friend. Lead me and guide me by your spirit. Help me to be connected to your body so I can be encouraged. Father God, I just pray that as, as we're coming into the summer, as we're coming into a time when maybe we're, we're not as guarded, we're not as on our game maybe as, as we usually are in relationship with you, in relationship with the body of Christ, I pray that you would remind us by your spirit the ways that we can be enticed and drawn into places of sin that we would just be aware and be convicted by you so we can stay out of those places and walk in the truth in the light. Of who we are as your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand for his word. We had a couple of people getting right with him. Praise God. Let's all stand. Worship God with our, our giving this morning. Let's look at this verse before we give. Honor God with everything you own.